to another episode of the BC Association of School Psychologists podcast. We are excited to bring you helpful ideas for your practice, supported by experts and research. This episode features a conversation with Melanie Nelson and is hosted by school psychologists Kathleen Cherry and myself, James Tanliao. Melanie is completing her PhD in school psychology at the University of British Columbia, and her dissertation explores how youth from local First Nations identify and access mental health supports. Now, we are going to hand it off to Melanie for her to share more about her background. Great. Thank you very much, James. Um, and thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm excited about this. Um, my background is um, my grandma was originally born into uh, Seabird Island Band, um, but married into Shamaquam, which is um, one of the communities from the greater Inchukch um, nation, if you go by the government's classification of us, uh, or um, um, Statlium, if you go by the way we classify ourselves, um, which is based on language. Uh, and I'm also Squayala, which is um, from the Stolo Nation in Chilliwack. Um, I'd like to acknowledge that all of you are on um, different territories. I am on um, the unceded territory of the Musqueam people um, at UBC. And um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm thankful not only to work here and to have gone to school here for so many years, but um, now I'm thankful to also um, call this my home. So I'm multiply <laughs> thankful for this territory. Um, um, yes, and I'm just at the tail end of my uh, degree in school in applied um, child psychology, just finishing up my dissertation. And um, we'll start with the uh, program at UBC um, in the new year. Fantastic, thank you. Um, and what got you into this field of study? Um, well, I was, I guess to go way back, um, I'm from an Indian residential school family. So that means we have survivors in my family. Um, that also means that there are um, a lot of cycles that um, come down from that. Um, I had a lot of difficulty uh, managing um, some of the stuff I was dealing with when I was a youth, and I had a lot of difficulties with behavior. I ended up getting expelled in grade 10, um, so I repeated grade 10, I call it grade 10 first and second time around um, when I'm talking about it. Um, but I guess I was really close to just leaving school um, when I was in alternate because just some of the kids around me, um, one of the boys uh, had accidentally shot his brother and there was another girl who was, uh, she had a bottle of uh, vodka that was like hidden in, in our books and she was like drinking during class and I just felt like I just did not um, belong there and I thought well I mean if I don't belong at school at all then maybe I shouldn't um, be at school so I, I, I really thought about leaving and there are a couple of um, key educators that um, really helped me 
um, kind of see my skill as as um, as a student, um, but also um, for the indigenous educator I met later on uh, in high school, um, contextualizing my experience um, so that I understood kind of why I was experiencing um, what I was experiencing. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I ended up, by the time I was in grade 12, I had my wits about me, and I ended up graduating with an entrance scholarship to um, UBC, um, but the, the, the path to get there was extremely difficult, and it was um, that Indigenous um, teacher, and there was one teacher at the school I got expelled from, actually, before she, um, before I got kicked out, um, she pulled me aside and, and basically said, I can, I can tell from the few assignments you've handed in that you, you, um, have some skill and why aren't, why aren't you, why aren't you doing this? And so, and I guess those people who saw past the behavior, um, and saw that there was something else, um, made me want to go into education. And then once I was in education, um, well, I did a bachelor of science because that's what I was good at. Um, and then once I was in education, I didn't want to be a science teacher as much as I love chemistry um, and biology. Um, so I went into uh, alternate uh, ed and inclusive ed, and I did my uh, diploma in behavior disorders um, right away. And then I was an inclusive ed teacher and indigenous ed teacher for uh, years in Vancouver and North Vancouver. And then um, I decided I did not want to uh, teach anymore. Um, I saw a lot of family, well, I mean, of course, families, a lot of families struggle with the system, but Indigenous families who have a child um, with uh, learning difficulties often struggle the most with the system because there um, are all, there are added layers to um, to school for Indigenous people. And, um, yeah, I wanted something that combined my interest in um, working with Indigenous people and my interest in um, inclusive education. And um, I definitely did not want to be an administrator because that's not who I am. Um, and um, the uh, school psychologist that was working at my school at the time, um, uh, Karen Mortimer, um, she was right about letting me sit and talk to her about um, the job and yeah I just decided to apply. <laughs> Things that are just the power of relationship and seeing such a, a important aspect are all through your story um, and I'm just uh, wondering if there are experiences or any key takeaways as you look back through your career that you'd like to share? Um, I think just those people that did see past my behavior, because um, I was pretty outrageous um, at times, and it would it was very easy to um, just take the behavior for what it was and, and to, to be mad at me and to, and to punish me or to, um, exclude me from school. Cause I, I excluded myself, um, 
because I knew people had a perception of me. So um, I don't know, I hit a point where I would purposely try and get kicked out of class because I didn't want to be there because I knew they didn't really want me to be there either. Um, but those teachers that saw that that's not actually who I was, um, that was a really, really big deal to me. And I think, um, I think a lot of the students um, that we work with in schools, there's a, there's a lot more, um, but we're missing it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I think along those lines, there's such a powerful message there in terms of seeing past what's going on in the moment, seeing past the behaviors. Um, what can school psychs, what can schools too be thinking about in order to really empower Indigenous youth to find mental health supports? Um, yeah, this question um, I thought about for a while, and uh, this is one of those questions that um, is not an appropriate question to ask. And this is kind of the question I asked during my dissertation. So one of the questions was, um, what do uh, what do youth do to support their uh, mental health and wellness? Um, but initially, um, it was focused more on um, mental health, and it wasn't um, focused so much on themselves. It was more focused outwardly. And um, I guess just the, the concept of, of mental health um, doesn't really make sense. Because from the Indigenous perspective, um, and I guess initially when I was doing the studies, you know, because we're living in both worlds, the um, Indigenous and, and, and Western, um, that there would, both of those would be playing into the experience of, of um, youth. Um, but for Indigenous people, wellness is about, it's an approach to life. So it's about me getting enough sleep last night and me getting up early enough to um, have food and um, have drinks so that I'm prepared for um, the work that um, we're going to do. And it's about me um, cleansing so that um, if there are, if there is anything negative, um, that I get rid of that before I come uh, to the table to do um, work with you. It's about me um, actively being um, physical. It's about me um, actively engaging in um, relationship with others and with um, activities in the community. It's um, it's about um, I guess con you know connection to to ceremony and to um, to the spirit world. So so to focus just on on mental health. Um, it doesn't actually even really make sense. And um, thinking about the terminology, there were more youth. Youth were more comfortable with the term mental health than they were um, with wellness. They used it more frequently. Um, so I guess, I don't know, I guess I, one thing I really struggle with is, are we um, are we trying to teach Western mental health, and are we encouraging them to access Western mental health, or um, could we be doing something um, 
I guess that's more inclusive and thinking about other ways of um, of being well and of being healthy. And I'm on this um, project, uh, it's a national project, um, CIHR funded, it's about um, Indigenous youth mental health literacy. And I, one thing I really struggle with that is, is whose literacy are we concerned with? Are we concerned about them knowing Western literacy, like Western uh, mental health literacy? Or are we concerned about connecting youth to um, more traditional um, practices, which are already happening in the community? Um, but how how can we I guess support that or or um, I don't know have create have less division um, between the two. That is such a powerful powerful point. Um, I love that it takes a very holistic view where you're not just looking at maybe some of the things that you know. From the Western approach, we know about mental health, but there's so much other pieces, the spiritual, the physical, the social aspects, they're all connected. Um, the community, it's all connected, and it really helps to kind of shape a person's wellness. Um, Melanie, I think a good direction, a good next question to ask here is just given everything that school sites can do, everything in terms of the different roles, the different skill sets that we have. Um, what are some problems that school sites are uniquely capable of solving in schools from your point of view? My opinion might be um, different from other people's opinions about what a school site should or should not do in a school or, or are capable of doing um, in a school. Um, I personally think, and, and, and I guess I'm speaking for myself um, as a school psych who is Indigenous, um, how can we uh, get elders and knowledge keepers connected to the schools? Um, districts should have a relationship already through their Indigenous um, education teams. Um, how can we um, capitalize on those relationships um, to learn more um, and to, uh, I guess, develop relationship with the community. Because part of it, too, is the more I know about the history of the community, the more um, I understand about um, how to conceptualize what that child is experiencing. So really, I mean, we should be doing it um, anyways. And um, communities are, I've found, are quite open because they um, they want people to, sh to know. They want um, uh, people to understand. Um, and something that uh, I thought was, um, I don't know, actually, I should check in if, if, if it was put into place, but in, in one school, there was a, a child who um, uh, had an intellectual disability, and um, he also had an amazing skill uh, on the land. So... He was already, you know, involved in, in, in trapping and working with the men, even though he was quite young, but he was just that skilled. Um, and then the, the goal was eventually for, for him to, um, work with one of the healers, one of the community healers. So then why, why would we not have, um, that healer or a knowledge keeper, um, from the community, um, working with the school to come up with, um, school programming? Um, 
that is more culturally relevant and is helping to prepare the youth for that that job, um, his eventual job as a healer. So um, knowledge of the plants, uh, like knowledge of the territory, um, like all of these things can be brought into um, curriculum, especially if it's going to be with a child who's on a, um, a modified program. Um, how how come we aren't coming up with more creative ways to um, uh, collaborate with the community? I think that that is a very powerful message. I think that it's pretty clear that, you know, we play a big role in creating that awareness and connection, especially um, with the community. Um, Melanie, I think you also talked about how important building that relationship is with um, a lot of youth and a lot of Indigenous families. And I was wondering if you had some specific recommendations or things we could be doing, specific strategies for really building that relationship. Yeah, something, I guess, um, recognizing communities. Some communities are being contacted by multiple um, groups because people are, um, I guess, embarking on their reconciliation journey and um, are now, um, I guess, collaborating with communities. So one of the issues is um, there is a lot of stress on communities to, to um, I guess, meet all of the, the demands for, for people who are wanting to, to do things with the community in order for their, for their reconciliation. Coming to the table with something, like, like not showing up and saying, I am ready to um, undergo reconciliation, so um, I want you to teach me um, what to do. Um, more like in um, when I was working for um, uh, Langley District, we did this um, finding out who are the groups that are supporting the community um, and finding out how you can be um, collaborative with them. And I, I try and avoid as much as I can the word help because we don't want help. Um, collaboration is good. Um, but help um, is not as great. Um, so um, there was an organization, I think it was that we ended up with the Friendship Center, um, and um, a couple of the psychs went and just introduced um, themselves and said, here's who we are, and this is what we do in the school, um, and we're hoping to, you know, long-term develop relationship, um, but in the short term, um, is there some um, service that we are specifically trained for that um, we can offer for you? And so we had a list of things. Um, so things like one thing I do with, um, I've done with communities is, um, uh, I don't want to use the word psychoeducation, but because psychs are listening to this, um, psychoeducation for families about um, how to consume um, psychological services um, critically, um, psychoeducation for the education team in the nation, because um, from my experience, uh, most teams, and well, I mean most education teams, period, uh, don't understand um, what we do um, or how to critically consume a report, because unfortunately there are some, uh, I've seen some very 
unethical um, people working with um, communities and doing things that they sh should not be doing. Okay, sorry, we're, we're talking about relationship. Um, see, this is what I mean about me getting off on tangents. Um, so, so we're talking, oh yeah, um, so yeah, we went and, and offered and um, it was it was very well received and um, I'm actually not with the district this year, um, so I'm not sure if they have gone um, to do something, but um, excuse me, the community member was, was very, very happy to meet us because, I mean, how often do school psychologists go to the Friendship Center and introduce themselves? Um, it doesn't happen very often. Um, but I, and I guess um, one of the, the best ways to do it would be, well, probably the best way to do it would be to team up with your Indigenous Ed um, team for your district. They already have a relationship with the community. Even if you don't have a whole team, there's at least one person who's supposed to be an administrator for the district. Um, that will be a contact. Find out what are the relationships already in place um, and how can you contribute to that um, and how can you um, learn from it. Um, but I, would I wouldn't assume that relationship will happen um, quickly. And I've been working, there's one community that I've been working with for, for years, and I still feel like I, I barely have, um, barely getting in there with relationship. It just takes a long time. Um, and I think once once you learn from the Indigenous Ed team, what are the protocols? So um, it might be that you should approach the community with medicine. So something I do, with, if I'm trying to develop relationship, um, I'm not assuming that I'm going to get one, but I would go and um, bring the four medicines um, and um, possibly some teas for the elders and then um, drop it off, say, uh, this is um, who I am and uh, this is why I'm dropping it off. And, and it's either for um, you know someone involved with the elders or someone involved in, in education, whatever it is, and just introducing myself um, and saying um, here here's here's what I here's who I am and here are the things that I can do I think like constantly um, coming to the table offering something not coming to to ask only if that makes sense thank you yes absolutely and I know for myself um Report writing is always a struggle to make sure that it is meaningful, uh, but um, is a in a framework that that is uh, digestible and um, makes makes sense and is useful and looking after looking at the whole individual. I'm just wondering if you have any frameworks or questions or anything specific that you, you keep in mind as, as you work with work, writing reports and assessments? Um, yes, I do. Um, when I'm, well, when I'm working with Indigenous families, I always ask first if that's how they would like to be um, presented. So I do have, um, um, I guess you could call it a framework. It's more that in you know, at the front of the report, instead of having like a, 
a paragraph or two with scores and whatever it is to summarize the report. Um, I have, um, I guess there are, there are two formats um, that um, I use. One of them is, um, looks somewhat like a, a medicine wheel. So there, if you can think of like a word um, document, um, it would be like one circle with uh, four circles around it. And then um, the circles would be colored similar to the, the medicine wheel. And what I do is um, I present only the strengths of the individual in that body. And, um, and of course, we're not assessing spirituality. That doesn't um, make any sense. Um, but what I do when I'm talking about spirituality, so um, first off, recognizing a lot of non-Indigenous um, psychologists would not feel comfortable doing this, but it's not about um, it's not about handing the child their culture. It's about creating space for um, other ways of looking at the child. Um, but I still will ask the mom or dad. Well, usually it's the mom. Um, do you want me to represent the child like this? Almost every single time, um, the answer's been yes. Um, the other way I have it is just um, in a table, just because logistically it's easier um, to use. And then, um, so, but that, that I guess, frame of thinking um, changes my intake questions. So when thinking about spirituality, I have my teachings from um, my elder, uh, Jerry Ullman, who's been eldering for me since um, November uh, 2017. Um, so I have my idea of what spirituality is from him. So um, I can ask questions in that way. Um, but um, when non-Indigenous psychologists um, have asked about, you know, what are some questions they could ask, um, I refer them to um, Dr. Uh, Rod McCormick's work. He's an Indigenous um, scholar at... Um, Thompson Rivers University. He's a, a counseling psychologist who's done a lot of research with um, Indigenous people in Canada, and he um, often talks about um, spirituality and, and um, uh, spiritual wellness, and that's published work, so um, that's something that um, um, anyone can use. But I, I do actually reference my reports. That might sound a little um, a little strange, but part of it is, um, I guess I, I don't want people to think that I'm just making up the statements that I that I am I'm saying. And part of it is um, trying to help other school psychologists if they want to take some of the stuff from from my report and then use it. Um, I want the information available to them. Um, Um, actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Melanie. Maybe what we can do is uh, add some more resources to the show notes. We might even, uh, I'll have a look through uh, Rod McCormick's uh, materials and see if there's anything we can at least reference there and give credit to the source, of course, uh, because it does sound like there's some really good stuff there to be thinking about. Yeah, I can just send it to you if you want. I, I, I yeah. have it. That'd be great. Thank you. Um, now, just to start the process of wrapping up, we wanted to ask two more questions. So, Melanie, you have a talk coming up at BCAST. Um, 
titled The Ancestors and Dr. Google, and we wanted to give you an opportunity to just speak to some possible high points or preview it for us. Um, well, I think some of the questions that you asked actually did um, preview it already. Um, a lot of the other information, like it has to be uh, contextualized. And that's all right. We appreciate the heads up. So that is a message for our listeners to just make sure you tune in to uh, Melanie's presentation at BCAS. And then for our last question, we always give our guests an opportunity to promote any sort of work. Is there anything you'd like to talk about? Uh, uh, there is actually, not that I'm making any money from it. Um, and it's not out yet, um, but the... Um, uh, Canadian Journal of School Psychology, um, a special issue is going to come out focused on um, working with Indigenous populations, and it's a two uh, it's a two part um, issue. So um, some really amazing uh, articles in there, and really amazing um, uh, editors. Um, it was supposed to be coming out um, next month, but um, it's not. Um, obviously, we're behind, um, but in the new year, um, both should come out. Exciting. Look forward to that. Indeed. Well, in that case, this is where we're going to mark the end of our episode. Thank you again for your time and your expertise, Melanie. We appreciate your time. Uh, to our listeners, please stay tuned for our next episodes. You can find us on Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. Do rate and review, and in the meantime, we'd love if you connected with us on our socials at BCASP Certified on Twitter and Instagram and BC Association of School Psychologists on Facebook. Uh, resources will be in the show notes. Thank you, everyone. Bye.